Joshua 10. Joshua 10. Let's just have a quick word of prayer here. Uh, Lord, wisdom, as we get ready to dig into this, you you wrote it. You're the one that can teach it, Lord. We pray for your spirit to lead, guide, and direct in all things. And just thank you for the time to be here, Lord. In your name, amen. Now, I uh, absolutely uh, love this lesson tonight because this gets to combine two of my favorite things to talk about. Obviously, the Lord and also astronomy. So I love astronomy. I'm a geek that way. I absolutely love this type of stuff. This is the famous chapter of the sun standing still. And so it's going to be a fun one tonight because it's just one of those things that I'm sure you probably remember from um, Sunday school growing up, this story of the sun standing still. And it's just a fascinating thing to talk about. It's something that's still around today. People still talk about it. I don't know if you've ever got one of those emails of where uh, NASA lost the day. Not a true story, but it's still something that comes around. And even non-believers, to an extent, know a little bit about this story. It's a fascinating story that the sun could stand still. And I'm getting ahead of myself here because there's some background we have to cover before we get to that point. But that's what we're going to finish with, is that, that side of it, of really what that means and represents. So... With that being said, what happened in Joshua chapter 9 was these uh, group of people called the Gibeonites pretended to be somebody else. They knew they couldn't defeat Israel in battle. So they pretended to be somebody else and came to Joshua and said, hey, let's make a covenant of peace and uh, therefore we'll, we'll serve. Well, the deal was God told Joshua, anybody in the promised land needs to be utterly destroyed. It's like leaving a little bit of sin in your life. You have to take that sin out because if you don't fully take that sin out in God's power, that sin's going to come back to bite you. Well, the Gibeonites knew the rules. The rules were that Israel could make peace with any nations that were far away, not part of the promised land. So the Gibeonites pretended to be this nation from far away. Joshua did not seek the Lord. The main verse we talked about last week was verse 14. They did not ask counsel of the Lord in Joshua 9. And because they did not seek God's will and God's wisdom, it got him into trouble. Well, with that background being there now, what happens here in chapter 10 is the rest of the kings see what happened with this. And this concerns them. Verse 1 of Joshua 10. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and utterly destroyed him, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of those royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Param, king of Jarmuth, Japhia, king of Lachish, and Debar, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, the kings of Hebron, the kings of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up, them and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. Now a little bit of background here. What's happened is Jericho fell. We just already talked about that. Ai fell. And now Gibeon has kind of fallen. Well, the rest of these kings are saying, okay, look at this. Jericho was mighty, they fell. Ai was mighty, they fell. Gibeon made peace. So I think there's a little bit of two things going on. Is Number one, if these other nations start making peace with Israel, we're never going to win. So we have to combine together because it's in numbers we're going to actually beat Israel here. And number two, we have to teach Gibeon a lesson. You, you just can't go side with Israel. You just can't jump ship like that. No. So these kings come together. They're going to attack together. They think in their numbers they can beat Israel. And also they're going to keep this from happening again. They're going to let this be an example to the rest of the city saying, you don't join sides with Israel. Well, it's kind of interesting. Because look at verse 6. 
And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. Now remember the background from last week. Gibeon lied. These men came up and were deceitful to Joshua, said we're from a faraway country. They lied about it. They were deceitful about it. And they got something out of it. Now, I don't know about you. My first response, if I was in Joshua's shoes and verse 6 happened, I would say, forget it. No. There is no promise of us protecting you. There's no promise of that. We said that, you know, you could be our servants. But you know what? A part of me as Joshua would want to say, you know what? No, we're not going to do this. Now, have you guys ever been in that position where somebody has wronged you? They have wronged you totally. You are, you are in the right. They are in the wrong. They have wronged you. You've made peace with the situation as best you can. And then they come back to you and they ask for something. Human nature wants to say no with everything you have. That's human nature. But you know what God's nature is? That's not the way we do it. And it's really interesting that it's Joshua. Because Joshua is the Old Testament form of what word? Jesus. And what does it say in the book of Proverbs? Here's a good verse, Proverbs 3.27. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to do so. Now the problem is we sit there and we determine who deserves it or not. So we sit here and say, Gibeon doesn't deserve the help. They don't deserve it. They have wronged us and they lied to us. So you know what? This is just their punishment. And sometimes we have a tendency to do that as human beings, don't we? Is when those situations come up, we say, nope, you've painted this mess. You've got yourself in this hole. You deserve this. And God says, whoa, no, I want you to do something here. Because look at God's response. Verse 7. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Wow. See, it's these little points here that we have a tendency to skip over. Joshua and Israel are now going to go fight to defend a nation that the chapter before them just lied to them, used them, abused them. I'm willing to bet that you work with somebody, you may live with somebody, you may know somebody who has a tendency to use you and abuse you. You are the floor mat of their life, and they keep coming back again and again, and you just are ready to put your foot down and say no more. But sometimes God says, keep showing love. That's a really tough lesson. That's a really tough teaching point. But yet God is saying in this position here, I want you to go protect Gibeon. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There are certain times where the Lord also gives wisdom where you have to step back and say, you know what, enough is enough. You have created this mess, and so since you've created this mess, the most loving thing I can do is step back and let you reap the consequences of that. Each situation is unique, and it's wrong for us to make a blanket statement to say you always step back and say suffer the consequences, because that's not true. Jesus didn't do that to us. But it's also wrong to say, you know what, I'm going to bail you out every time too, because that's not true. So how do you know what you're supposed to do? God gives wisdom. I know everybody hates that answer, but isn't that the best answer? God gives wisdom. Each situation is unique, and there's going to be times in your life where you have been walked on, used and abused, where you and your flesh are ready to be done and say, the next time they do that, I'm putting my foot down saying no more, and God says no. No. Just as I was rebuked and ridiculed and, and spit upon, I'm asking you to suffer that same thing. That's a tough tough teaching to accept. Turn, if you will, to uh, 1 Peter. First Peter.
These are some of these verses that I absolutely hate in 1 Peter. It's kind of interesting because 1 Peter 3, the first seven verses deal with marriage. And then right after dealing with marriage, it deals with this. Look at 1 Peter 3. Uh, pick it up here in verse 6. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Now stop right there. That's easy, right? If you love me, I love you back. Isn't that the truth? But look at verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. That is a tough verse to chew on. That is a real tough verse to chew on. If you want to bless life, what do you do? Verse 10. For he would love life and see good days. Let him refrain from his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. If you want to bless life, that's what you do. You watch what you say. You speak peace. You stay away from evil. You try to do good. It's hard to do. Jump down to verse 13. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. See, we don't like to think that. Sometimes we're in these situations where we are getting picked on with words. We are getting uh, used and abused. And we say, no. God says, you don't get it. The more they use you and abuse you, the more you're being blessed. And sometimes God says, I have you there for a reason. I have you there for a purpose. And you know what? I want you to, to be used in that situation there. And that's what the Lord has said. Now, there's also times, too, where God says, you need to put your foot down. Wisdom. God says wisdom in this situation. But here back with Gibeon, it would have been really easy in our flesh to say, you know what, guys? It's not our responsibility maybe to protect you. But God said to do it, and so therefore they did. That's a tough, tough teaching point. That's a tough thing to really chew on. But you know what? The Lord actually uses it and does it. Anybody got any quick questions, comments about that before we move on? Okay. Now, real quick here. Sometimes I look at these situations and I think, okay, Lord, are you really in control here? Because... You know, now you got five kings coming against us at one time. Well, Psalm 2, you don't need to turn there, but just listen. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. It doesn't matter if there's five kings that combine their forces, 500 kings or 5,000 kings. God's not concerned about it in any way whatsoever. In fact, I think in some ways it makes it easier for the Lord because if I was in Joshua's position, I would say, oh, this is great. Because if we had to do Jericho and then AI one at a time, it's going to take us forever. Let's take out five at once. You know, God wants to bring five together against us. The Lord already said in verse 8, I'm going to take, it, take care of it. See, isn't this what we do in human nature? Human nature is if one rough thing happens to you tomorrow, generally you can handle it. Two things, you start getting worked up. Three things, next thing you know, you're saying, I can't handle this. I can't handle one more thing. Wait a second. In the eyes of God, you can handle a thousand things coming at you. It's human nature that says, I only can handle one thing. I only can handle two things. I only can handle this. God says, whatever comes against you, I will give you the strength to get through. Joshua, five kings coming against him? That's no big deal to the army of the Lord. That's no big deal whatsoever. One angel took out, what, 186,000 Assyrians in one night? God says, don't worry about the enemy in front of you. You worry about the strength that he gives you. So often we are focused on the situation and not the Savior, so we get brought down by it. God wants to bring five kings at once against Israel? No problem. Let's take out five at one time. It's a lot easier. 
Verse 9, Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. A little bit of background on here. Gilgal is about 15 miles away, and Gilgal is rocky uphill. So when it says they marched all night from Gilgal, that's a big deal. They marched all night, about 15 miles uphill, in the dark, rocky terrain. Not the best way to be physical shape, but, look at verse 10, so the Lord routed them before Israel. See, note what happens here. Watch the balance. Verse 9, Joshua marches. Verse 10, God routes. Isn't that amazing? Yes, they did the fighting, but it's God that got the victory. See, so often I look at my physical circumstances. Lord, I can't handle one more thing. I just marched from Gilgal 15 miles uphill. I'm so tired. I can't handle one more thing. God says you don't have to handle one more thing. You did the marching. I'll do the routing. And so God took care of the battle here. Look at verse 10. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes down to Beth Haran, struck them down as far as Asica and Makedah. See, so often I am so guilty of this. I focus on me. Lord, I marched all night. I marched uphill. Lord, I marched 15 miles. I am tired physically, emotionally, spiritually. I can't handle one more thing. Lord, if you bring one more thing in my life, I'm not going to be able to handle it. God says you don't have to. Verse 10, the Lord routed them. God did the fighting. And he does the fighting in a supernatural way. Verse 11, and it happened as they fled before Israel, were on the descent of Beth Haran, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Asica, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. That's a good way to bring a victory. Now, you want a little bit of background here? I find this interesting. Biggest hailstone ever. Anybody want to take a guess how much it weighed? No one wants to take a guess? A little under two pounds. About eight inches across. Now, when I first heard that, I thought that doesn't sound too impressive. But I don't want to be under that hailstone coming down either. So, a little under two pounds, about eight inches across. Now, when God talks about hailstones in the Bible, there's hailstones. He, this is like his weapon of choice for some reason. He used hailstones in Exodus 9. He uses hailstones throughout the book of Revelation. But does anybody want to guess the size of hailstones that the Lord normally uses? Usually about 75 to 100 pounds. If you look in the book of Revelation, those are the size of hailstones that God is using. It's about 75 to 100 pounds. Now, I don't want to get hit by one that's a little under 2 pounds, 8 inches. That could cause some serious damage coming down at that speed. Now make one 75 to 100 pounds? That's a bomb. That's a bomb coming down. So, when you're sitting there, verse 9, marching all night, uphill, rocky terrain, 15 miles, whining and moaning about trying to help somebody who doesn't care for you, that they used you, they abused you, etc. Remember, verse 10, God's going to rout them and he'll throw hailstones at them. Not literally, but you know what I mean. He'll take care of the battle. It's so amazing. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize how little I really have to do. God just asked me to love him. Love him, and as I love him, go deeper in him and just, and just desire a deeper walk with him, a deeper relationship with him. That, that's what he asks. See, so often I throw so much on my shoulders. I'm marching to Gilgal at night, uphill, 15 miles, thinking, what do I have to do next? God says, you don't have to do anything. I'll take care of it. Just, you're faithful. A lot of times what we do out here at church is just be faithful to show up and say, Lord, you take care of the rest. You let the Spirit lead through the worship. You let the Spirit lead through the teaching. You let the Spirit lead through everything. We're just going to be faithful to show up and be obedient during the week to be in prayer over things, to seek your word and to show your love. And the Lord is what takes care of the rest. 
What do you say in the book of Zechariah 4, 6? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's very egotistical and arrogant of us to think it relies on us. It's the Lord that takes care of it. He's the one that does the routing in verse 10. He takes care of it. And that's the main thing we got to remember. Some of you are facing something right now. It's big, it's tough, it's difficult. You are emotionally, spiritually, and physically whipped. You don't think you can handle one more thing. And don't you think God knows that? He knows you can't handle one more thing. And so he says, don't worry, i got a big hailstone waiting for you. <laughs> He's not going to literally drop it on your enemy, but i got a big hailstone waiting for you. I will take care of it. You just have to trust me, and the Lord will take care of it. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about this before we move on to the next part here? Now, I find this fascinating. Verse 12, Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in that day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemy. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Now, we're going to talk about the sun standing still. That's fascinating. But you know what I find more fascinating than the sun standing still is verse 12. Joshua praying this prayer, but did you note how he prayed at the end of verse 12? He said, in the sight of Israel. Now, when I am alone with the Lord, I have a lot of faith. But you put me in front of a group of people, Lord, I can't pray for that because what happens if it doesn't come true? I'll look like an idiot. I'm amazed that Joshua said this in the sight of Israel. Can you imagine being there in this battle and you hear your leader in prayer saying to the Lord, Son, stand still. That takes a lot of faith. And it just amazes me as Christians how our faith can be so little in public because what, what happens if it doesn't work out or, or what happens this? You know, what we normally do... You know, when it comes up to Thanksgiving, and we're kind of praying about it, we've done this the last couple of years, we'll probably do it again if the Lord leads, is generally the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we have, you know, special time of communion and some talking, and, and we do a little teaching on being thankful, but we really open it up to praises. That's what we like to do the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, is just say, hey, let's just only share praises of what God has done and what you're thankful for. And without doubt, I always have somebody that comes up to me after that message saying, I really wanted to tell the Lord thank you for him healing me of this or helping me through this or getting me through this. But, but then I was afraid to say it because what happens if it really doesn't work out? I was afraid to say it because what happens if I stumble back into it? And it's amazing how quickly our faith falters when other people are around. And in the privacy of our own home, we're very faithful. Lord, do this, do that. Move in this mountain. Take care of this because I trust you. But yet when we get in public we really kind of chicken out on certain things. And it really impresses me here with Joshua that in the sight of Israel, he made a pretty bold proclamation here. And how can he make this bold proclamation? Because he had faith in his Lord. Now, one of my, my points that go along with this is always use the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I, I love that statement they said when they're getting ready to get thrown in the fiery furnace. Highly paraphrased, they basically said, the Lord may save us. We don't know. If he saves us, he saves us. If he doesn't save us, he's still God. Now, I like that. That's also faith, too. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do. I know you're capable of healing this person. Lord, I know you're capable of fixing that marriage. Lord, I know you're capable of providing that job. So in faith, I pray that you would take care of that. But I don't know what you're going to do. 
And if you don't take care of it, my faith doesn't falter because I still know that you're God. God doesn't have to make the sun stand still anymore. He's already done it once. I don't need to see it to believe it. This is what is amazing about this thing is the sun standing still. This is a miracle. See, what the problem is when it comes to miracles in the Bible, we always try to explain them. If you can explain it, I don't think it's a miracle. Jonah was swallowed by a big fish for three days. And I've heard people try to explain that before about how the, the cavity of a large fish, be it a whale or whatever, there's so much air supply. And I, I just think it's a miracle. It's amazing. That, that's it. The, the sun stood still. How did it happen? I don't know. That's what makes it a miracle. If I could explain it, it's really not that miraculous. If my little mind can understand this. I'm fascinated by this type of stuff. I, I go out at night, and you know, uh, right out tonight when you go out, there's a beautiful crescent moon. And you know, if you look, the brightest object in the sky next to the moon is Jupiter. And I look up there, and I think this is just amazing stuff. And so the sun's standing still. Now, if you don't like science, you, you can back off for about five minutes. I'll let you know when it needs to come back. But I, I, have to, I have to tell you these things to make you fully understand and respect this. Because we've all been in a car going very fast, and you slam on the brakes. What happens when you slam on the brakes? You go forward. Body's in motion. Stay in motion. Let's go back to seventh grade science here. And so, if you're moving and you stop all of a sudden, you still have motion, you go forward. That's why you have seatbelts to stop you. The Earth is moving amazing. And this, and this information is from the Astronomical Society. The Earth rotates at 1,000 miles per hour. That's pretty impressive, 1,000 miles per hour. Okay, now you've got to remember it's rotating 1,000 miles an hour. Now it's also going around the sun. It's going around the sun at 66,000 miles per hour. But you've got to remember, the sun's also moving. The sun moves at 43,000 miles an hour. The sun moves in the galaxy at 483,000 miles per hour. And the whole Milky Way moves at 1.3 million miles per hour. So the Earth rotates, which goes around the sun, which the sun is moving, which is moving through the Milky Way, which the Milky Way is moving. Everything's moving. Now, for the sun to stop moving, that affects everything. This is just pure science. This is why we have rotation of planets and everything like that. If one thing stops moving or slows down or something, everything is affected by that. So for this miracle to quote-unquote work, the sun just can't stop moving because we're rotating and moving around the sun. It's almost like being in your car and slamming on the brakes and saying, okay, passenger, you're the only one that's going to be affected by this. It doesn't work that way. Anything in the car is going to be affected by it. So when the sun stands still, everything that is in creation is affected by that. Imagine the earth rotating at 1,000 miles per hour. If all of a sudden we stop happening, what would happen? All of us would go flying. It didn't happen that way. Can I explain why it happened? I cannot explain this in any way whatsoever, which is why it makes it a miracle. The sun standing still is one of the most amazing scientific things to happen in the entire Bible. When you start thinking about everything that is in motion, the science behind this, it is unexplainable. Yeah, John. Yep. Backwards, yeah. And Hezekiah said that great comment of, uh, what's the big deal if you make it go forward? You know, make it go backwards, which I still think it's pretty impressive if it made time go forward. But yeah, that's what Hezekiah, he made time go backwards. I can't explain that. I can't explain how Jesus died on the cross and rose three days later other than it was the power of God. So this brings us to the point. 
There's this great verse in the New Testament that says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly all that you say or think. Now, how many of us sitting here tonight are worried about something tomorrow? Why? Why are we worried about that? God just took an earth moving at 1,000 miles per hour around a sun at 66,000 miles per hour, around a sun moving at 43,000 miles per hour, a galaxy at 483,000 miles, through a galaxy moving at 1.3 million miles per hour. Nothing happened. He took care of it. If he can handle this, don't you think whatever situation you're facing tonight, tomorrow, or next month in the future, or whatever it is, that he is capable of handling that's the purpose of these stories being in here. These stories just aren't in here for us to say, oh, wow, neat. If I was up in heaven and, and, and God said, and, and I asked him to do something, but I didn't believe it, I, if I was the Lord, I'd be very frustrated saying, James, I made the sun stand still. You don't think I can handle that situation you're facing? I made the sun stand still. We get frustrated, don't we, when we feel like our... Um, Power is limited. And a lot of times we put God in a box. Real quick story here. And, and you may think that Dawn and I are bad parents. But if you don't think that already, you will find out over the next 10, 15 years. It's inevitable. But um, <clears throat> the boys got this, this uh, one video game that they, they like to play. And it's uh, Super Mario Brothers. They like to play that. And so uh, they like to play this game, uh, Super Mario Brothers, on the Wii. And so they like me to play with them. Now, so I play with him, and I was playing with Judah this morning, and uh, Judah wanted me to do this certain thing on the game, and I, I died doing this certain thing they asked me to do. So Elias is sitting there saying, Dad, you're no good at this game. Now, that, that's, that's fighting words, because, you know, I grew up, jumped back to 1986 when it first came out, so I told Elias, I said, Elias, I said, I've been playing Mario Brothers for 24 years I said, I can defeat this level. I can defeat this thing right here, right now. It's you guys that are bringing me down because I have to play it with you. And he just looked at me, and I ended up having to apologize. But the point is, <laughs> it bothered me that my, my, uh, my four-year-old, excuse me, my five-year-old is, is, is doubting my Super Mario Brothers skills. That bothers me. And I had to prove to him. I sometimes think that the Lord up in heaven, when we say, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, you know, Lord, I got this situation at work, or Lord, you know, this is happening, or this, and he's like, I made the sun stand still. I made the sun stand still. I, I, I rained 100-pound hailstones down. I took on five kings at once. Come on, trust me. And if that's the only thing you get out of tonight, is, is trust me, then that's good. Trust that the Lord is going to take care of you, and, and he's done it. He's proven himself time and time again of his faithfulness and love. And whatever you're facing right now does not compare to making the sun stand still. It really doesn't. The Lord will take care of it, and he will meet your needs, and he just says, in faith, trust me. In faith, trust me. Does anybody else have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up? We'll finish up uh, chapter 10 later here. Chapter 10, the rest of that gets kind of lengthy, and it kind of goes right into chapter 11. So verse 15 is actually a nice place for us to stop here for the evening. So does anybody else have any final things they want to say before we go ahead and close up? All right. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, as we just come to you now, thank you for being a God that is not intimidated by any situation that we're intimidated by. Lord, you're not worried. You're not fearful. You're not anxious. And Lord, when we as your little lambs get that way, just remind us that you're there for us and you've taken care of it, Lord. And in faith, we trust you, Lord. And we just lift this up in your name. Amen.